So we need to break the ice. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. What do I mean? Overcome initial social awkwardness. So let's have a conversation. I did something unexpected today. Do you know a girl with long red hair? She's not ringing any bells. She doesn't live here or... Nope. Madeline is not ready to be buried yet. She's upstairs, oh, resting peacefully. Oh, fine. oh, if she's not dead, you tell her to come down here. You tell her to come down here, walk right up to me, and kiss me on the... Kiss you on the what? Spent too much time in this body. I'm fucking trapped in here. View basic questions before the operating system is initiated. This will help create an OS to best fit your needs. Now, when I'm very good and do as I am told, I'm Mama's little angel. And Papa says I'm good as gold. But when I'm very bad and answer back and sass, then I'm Mama's little devil. And Papa says I've got the brass. Hey, everybody, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm ill. I'm oh, ill. No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it is yet. I will keep you posted. Um, but I think basically I got my booster the other day, mm. um, which I thought, so I thought I was just having side effects. And then I just started to get like a full blown cold. Yeah. So, and then I looked it up and then like, obviously the internet told me I had COVID. Um, <laughs> so I've taken some lateral flows. They've tested negative, but I took a PCR just in case. So we'll see whether it's a cold or COVID. I really hope, obviously, that it's a cold. Keeping my fingers crossed for you. Thank you. Such terrible timing if it's COVID because it just means like that's me inside for the rest of the year now. And oh, that's not a great way to, not a, not the best way to end the year, but I know. God fine. damn it. I know. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure every, like so many people are going through this exact same thing right now. So, you know, I'm sure I'm in good company. Yeah, Ugh. I know. It's, it, and and um, actually, Paul was just checking some stats this evening. Mm-hmm. And apparently, where we live in Lambeth, um, obviously Kennington in Lambeth Council, Lambeth is the highest like rate of COVID in the country. <gasps> oh my God, why do you think? That's so weird. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel anyone around here is like acting recklessly when I look out my window. Everybody seems perfectly civilized. Oh my God, maybe you've got like loads of unvaccinated people or something. I don't know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe th- this high rate of infection is due to like some underground orgies in Kennington that I don't know about. <laughs> Oh my god, they didn't invite you. That's I know. So, so mean. So rude. Like <laughs> but yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, you know, who knows what's going on, but I'm so over it. Like I am so over it now. Same. Like, and the thing know. is that like it actually should be good news that it's getting milder. Like True. you know, it should be like but it's just because of the stupid Christmas 
like emotional load that it's, it feels so like scary and horrible and everyone yeah, feels true. like guilty that they might give it to someone um so like as soon as christmas is over i think like we'll hopefully be in a better in like a less it will feel less dire you know yeah that is true that is true it's the added kind of baggage of christmas that's making this all like unbearable exactly stupid fucking christmas sorry <laughs> sorry baby jesus but <laughs> so really? fucking, what, what fucking capricorns <laughs> Is is baby Jesus a Capricorn? He is, isn't he? He is a Capricorn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, Venus is also in retrograde in Capricorn at the moment. Oh, yes, that's so true. So, uh, everyone, no breakups and no new relationships until yeah. January. Not yeah, a good that, idea. Yeah, until the, until the 29th of January. Then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. They're just, they're just like, hold it. Don't make any rash decisions. Think about it. Have a yeah, bit of play, time to communicate. Play it cool. Be play mysterious. Cool. Just calm, calm down. <laughs> play it cool. Boy, boy, easy. You don't know what that is because you haven't seen West Side no. Story. <laughs> I'm completely at sea here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you just wait. I hope they haven't done anything with the songs. Like, because it is just like, I listen to it just on, on Spotify sometimes when I'm walking around. Nice. It's just such a good soundtrack. It's amazing. But, oh my God, I yeah. can't wait. I'm going to try and sneak into a screening on Wednesday. Um, Do you mean you're not going to pay for it? <laughs> what do you mean? D- darling, I never pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get comps. Of course you do, yes. Of course you do. That's very that's very true. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully I can do that if I don't have COVID and can go to some film screenings. And I'm so happy that we're doing another one of these evening recordings because you know we're going to be bringing that chaotic energy to you over here. Yeah, like it's not like snotty energy in my case, but yeah, <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully I'm going to not gross everyone out too much. More bodily emissions. Huh? Oh yeah, exactly. Like I've moved on. I've moved on from to snot now as my favorite bodily fluid. And that's what you're gonna. You guys are gonna get some great phlegmy ASMR experiences for the next hour. I, I just treated Mary to like a mammoth nose blowing session before we started, so I got like most of it out of me. So hopefully, but I can already feel it, feel it building up. So I'll just like keep. I'll just describe that in detail as it um as it continues. As you want to do. As I am want to do. <laughs> um, I just have to also mention, this is completely uh, a, a deviation from what you just said, mm-hmm. but I just had to say thank you so much to the new people who've left ratings for us and <gasps> reviews on iTunes. Ooh. Yeah, we've got two new ones and they're really wonderful. I'm, I'm going to screen grab them and just tweet them out. Amazing. I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. And also to, I forgot to mention it in the last episode, but to Ian, our wonderful listener who has also donated to us yet again. He's a very generous person, always supporting us. And it means the world. It really does. It's really lovely. Oh, I'm so excited to read those new reviews. I know. That's exciting. Oh, I, it's really, really helpful when you do that for us. Apparently, it helps us get discovered by other people. It means that we kind of get a little higher in the ratings. Always, always useful. So thanks so much. Yeah. And also, you can now rate us on Spotify as well. There's a new feature <gasps> of doing that. So if you happen to be on Spotify listening, just 
you know, spend a couple of seconds giving us those five stars ratings. And yeah, it totally helps. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. It's so nice to get the support. Oh, amazing. I didn't know we could do that. Yeah, I only just found out like a couple of days ago. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I can rate us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a Spotify listener. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that too. I'll spend a couple of seconds giving us like a nice, you know, strong recommendation. Yeah, we strongly recommend ourselves. Yes, we do. Yeah, mm. always a good sign when the hosts <laughs> are on board. Um, and we're already on to episode four in this uncanny series. Now we're mm-hmm. moving on to dolls. Yeah, so we have Dead of Night and Chucky for yes. our films this week. Um, Mary, how did you find the viewing this week? Well, um, I have to say of all the films so far in this series, this is the week where I felt the most theoretically aligned with the uncanny. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I mean, this was your idea actually to like bring in the dimension of dolls because that is so, it is, it's a real highlight in the original Freud text, Dustin Heimlich. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely spot on. Like we, um, we absolutely needed to include it because the the whole notion and the kind of symbolic significance of inanimate objects that are like human like, like mm-hmm. dolls and wax works, um, the idea that they take on human characteristics, or that there's a kind of element of animism involved where they're kind of expressing emotion or able to talk on their own or move around or whatever it is um this does really strike right at the heart of the uncanny the idea that something that's supposed to be just an object takes on human characteristics homely characteristics where they ought not be Mm -hmm. It's pure uncanny. And I just, it really gave me, gave me the creeps to watch them side by side. It was a really enjoyable double bill for me. I know. I mean, that obviously we're going to focus most on the ventriloquist dummy segment of mm-hmm. Dead of Night, even though it's kind of like an anthology film, sort of. Yeah. Um, of like these different stories that kind of wrap up into one overarching narrative. But yeah, it's really similar. You have this, like, you have sort of, you have this like bullying doll presence that is really like you know the the ventriloquist dummy is kind of like yeah it's like a 40s version of chucky it's like a polite version of chucky like even not even that polite really no but really yeah i thought it was they were very similar uh yeah like a real proto chucky yeah really interesting i loved it i know i did too uh am i right in thinking you've seen child's play one and two well i had never seen any child's play films but i watched child's play one and two in the last couple of weeks for this because i thought i should probably watch one so i like have a basis i actually watched one with alex Mm -hmm. um uh at his house last week and um i was saying like oh you know i when i was like younger in the playground i remember someone like some other kids saying uh, you know, like all of these like boys in our class were talking about Chucky. So like someone's like older brother had clearly like shown it to them or something because mm. we were like, we were young. We were like, you know, nine. And uh, I remember someone saying, that's the film, that's the film that um, Jamie Bolger's killers watched before oh, they killed him. Remember that like weird rumor about, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I think the rumor was like about like the fourth film or something like that. 
Um, but I remember someone saying that to me in the playground and me being like really freaked out by that idea. And obviously now I'm like an adult and I know that's like not based in, not even based in fact at all. Um, but I, that, it always kind of carried that aura for me of there being like this evil film that caused like evil deeds. And wow. um, and then I watched it with Alex and he um, like, we sort of finished and he was just like, give me a cup of tea, bitch. And I was like, wow, maybe it does affect excitable young men. <laughs> like, yeah, just maybe it does influence people. That is so funny. And it's also very uncanny because Paul is currently re-watching all of Breaking Bad and Jesse Pinkman always says bitch at the end of every sentence and he's been saying that to me. Oh, that's very strange. I know. How weird. How weird. Um, but yeah, there you go. We we are providing evidence that violent movies and TV shows do affect male behavior. They do. The- <laughs> they do. <laughs> We did this, this is this controlled science experiment that we have just done. Yeah, exactly. Incontrovertibly that it does, that, that men are not safe watching films. And no. only, based that cinema is for women, is what we've, <laughs> what we've proved. Make sure that men have supervision going forward, uh, watching these <laughs> delicate materials. When I was a kid, I mean, I tricked my mom into renting Child's Play, and I just said, oh, it was, it's, you know, it's just about dolls. You know, it's all good. And then I watched it with my little brother and sister. And they were very young. They, they must have been like five and four. So it definitely was not age appropriate for them. Yeah. Or me, or me to be fair. But I think I, I just was already like on some other reality tip or something. Like already, <laughs> I, I'd already crossed over into the dark side. So there was no saving me from that. But they were very vulnerable. And I I do remember vividly my baby brother and sister crying the whole time and being scared of their own dolls. Oh, poor things. (laughs) I I, know it was kind of, is it wrong that I thought it was cute? Like, I. I, It is cute. I can imagine it would be quite frightening for children, but like, it's clearly very funny as watching it as an adult. Like, that kind of. It, that especially that like bitch stuff is really funny like he's so it's hilarious like Brad I also didn't know that Chucky was Brad Dourif I yeah. had no idea and like I said and at the beginning you know you you see Brad Dourif and I was like oh my god is Chucky Brad Dourif and like it just I can't believe I just I that seems like something I should have known mm. but I had no idea like I have such a crush on Brad Dourif I know he's beautiful yeah beautiful and unhinged I love great voice great voice just oh amazing I think I think Brad Dourif and Jennifer Tilly should be a couple in real life I agree it's it's weird that that didn't bring them together that film now I need to watch Bride of Chucky so I can see so I can see her because I've always seen pictures of her in it and just thought she looked so amazing I know what did you think of the second one? I mean, I, I guess we'll get to it when we start reviewing it. But did you enjoy the viewing of the second one? I did enjoy the viewing of the second one. I thought it was like, it was almost like a bit more kind of Disney-fied in a way. Mm. That sort of like plucky orphans like kind of tale. It's interesting. They've just like taken his mother out of the narrative. Like, and the first one especially, it was just like such bleak view of like single motherhood. Yeah. And then like the second one, it's like they've just like completely taken her out of the picture and he's just like totally alone. 
there's like some it's kind of like watching like a really dark like gremlins Mm. or something the first one because there's like this idea of like because like the bit where she's like there's a peddler on the street and (laughs) he's selling a good guy doll and it's like i'm sorry it's the 80s like where did you learn that where who's using the word peddler like (laughs) but there's some weird thing about like there's so many american films about like buying something from like a non-capitalist vendor (laughs) and like all of the terrible things that can happen when you step outside capitalism and I think wow. like Chucky is one of those. Um, yeah, that is so true. So any anytime you go on the black market, you're basically like putting your life on the line. Exactly. But whereas Chucky 2 is a little bit more critical of the corporation. Yes. Um, because it's kind of like their fault in the beginning that he kind of come back to li- comes back to life. Yes. And like the showdown ends in the factory yeah. as well. And you get this kind of like this like perversion of like manufacturing. The means of production. Exactly. So I think <laughs> the second one's maybe like the first one kind of follows that line of like pro-capitalist American movies. And mm. then the second one like kind of subverts that a little bit. I thought that was quite interesting. That's such an interesting observation. And actually, it reminds me of something I noticed in House of Gucci, which I saw last week. Did you Uh, watch it? I'm so... I haven't... Like, I've just worked full time since I last saw you. And I was planning to go to all of these movies between Christmas and New Year. So, like, pray I don't have COVID. And then I can see Spencer, House of Gucci, West Side Story. I can see everything. Just a few more days. Yes. And I can see everything. I mean, this is not a spoiler for House of Gucci at all, but it is very much following along the theory that you put forward in terms of just sort of implanting that seed of suspicion in terms of like buying outside of the official channels of the market. Oh, okay. Because um, when Patrizia Reggiano character played by Lady Gaga in the movie... She obviously marries into the Gucci family. And when she's sort of getting to know the business, at one point she's in New York and she notices that on Canal Street, there's all these like dupes being sold, like Mm. fake Gucci's. And she brings this issue to like, you know, the head honcho. And um, she's like, we can't allow this to happen. This is making us lose credibility in the eye of the consumer. Like she's really pushing for this narrative that like, we have to shut this down, you know? Anyway, so it just reminded me of what you said because there is that impulse to totally demonize and completely like annihilate, you know, anything that is like outside of the official channels of capitalist consumption. Yes, that's so interesting. I cannot wait to see it, by the way. It sounds amazing. Like, I mean, it is a really fun watch at the cinema for sure. Yeah. Like, I do recommend if you're going to watch it, go and see it on the big screen because it is it is kind of like it is quite bonkers and camp. So you get that full experience in the cinema. That's what I was hoping. Yeah, for. I was hoping for a camp trashy watch. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like, yeah. it's not um, I mean, it's not it's not making it on my top 10, you know, best of year list or anything. Mm-hmm. OK, cool. <laughs> but it's still I still recommend seeing it just for just for a laugh. Okay, amazing. Well, the, yeah, I'm gonna. The best part is when they when they incorporate Tom Ford. Oh my god, it's so cool. <gasps> oh my god, that's so exciting! Wow. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. 
that's the highlight for me okay cool well i can't wait to see it but yeah i do notice that that is like a trope in definitely a trope in like american cinema even there's like an even even like a sex in the city episode isn't there where they like go and buy fake bags oh, yeah. and then like and then she like goes like she goes like two hours to the valley to buy fake bags and then she's like oh they just don't look right and then she like goes home without them it's just like get a grip like they're they're like a hundred bucks each <laughs> like <laughs> they're amazing <laughs> like, they're probably made in the same factory exactly <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's so true. And I like the fact that in this second installment, as you say, it, the struggle is moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, which one do you want to start with? Um, I've got Dead of Night first. Yeah, let's go with that one. Yeah. First. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm going to synopsize. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Dead of Night, 1945. Uh, we've got quite a lot of directors here. Yeah. Um, Alberto Cavalcanti. Uh, Robert Hammer, Charles Crichton, and Basil Dearden. Mm. I think it's Alberto Cavalcanti who directed The Ventriloquist Doll, mm-hmm. The Ventriloquist Dummy. Yeah. Um, so, a man arrives at a country farmhouse and immediately realizes that the location and assembled guests are the subject of a recurring dream he has had. Each of the guests take turns telling their own tales of the supernatural. In the final story, a man is bullied by his own ventriloquist dummy. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Had you seen this movie before? I hadn't. I think that the reason that I was familiar was it with it was because it's mentioned in the Pervert's Guide to Cinema. That's right. Um, Zizek talks about it. So I'd always been curious, but I wasn't aware that it was like an anthology film. I thought the whole film was um, Michael Redgrave, the ventriloquist dummy. I thought it was that was like the extended, you know, mm. that was like an extended story. So I didn't realize it was one story in six or five or however many there are Mm. um I love Michael Redgrave as well I think I do as well I think this is like a really interesting film because the I guess because it's got multiple directors the tone like shifts around so much Mm. and like you know there's like one that's almost a comedy and like one that's like very kind of very clearly like a melodrama and then you've got this like final film and it's it's really like it's frightening it's really eerie um like the, it like it's very powerful like even even though it's like 1940s it's there's something really freaky about it um also fun fact i read on the wikipedia it says a rare horror film british horror film from the 1940s because horror films were banned from production during the war oh i didn't know that i didn't know that either i really want to look more into that isn't that fascinating it was assumed that they would lower morale yeah, I am. I'm. I'm positive that it didn't elaborate in the Wikipedia mm. page, but I'm positive that must be the reason. It has to be, which and is which is ironic because I think actually probably would have comforted people. Definitely. So this film somehow got through, and probably that's why it has it like veers around in tone and genre. Uh-huh. You know, like so it has this kind of this more like you've got this like psychoanalyst there, like telling everyone <laughs> that it's all in the in the brain as they as they said as opposed to like in the unconscious they're like I love it's like almost there's almost like a rogue therapist kind of thing about him when it's like we've got to jolt his brain it's like what (laughs) what do you have to do (laughs) um so yeah I loved that and then so yeah but it managed to kind of you actually managed to have this really eerie frightening film like slip past this you know the this production code which is really interesting very 
Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that it's sort of this circular narrative that he just can't get out of this frightful existential loop where he's always going to drive up to the house and he's always going to meet these people and they're always going to seem familiar and it's all going to be uncanny. Mm -hmm. And they all go through their various preoccupations and which ultimately is really his own preoccupations. He's just assigning them to these other people. And at the end, he just gets haunted by everything all over again. Yeah, very psychoanalytic film for like 1945. Um, I also read that it was one of the inspirations for Triangle, which we've, which we've, covered on the podcast um the christopher smith was inspired by that that exact structure amazing Um, i did not know that that's fascinating yeah just off the the wikipedia page for this film is really good (laughs) like really just interesting stuff there that you could expand out into like a thesis really good very revealing yeah oh cool i mean i'm a big fan of michael um redgrave as well i think that he's a he seems to be a natural horror actor. Yeah, definitely. Like there's, he really kind of loses his, himself in the role in a way that none of the other actors seem to. Like he's mm. really, he's sort of really, it, it, he's the only horror character in the film, I think. Like yeah. he's really kind of haunted. He's kind of drawn. He looks very, like there's something not quite right about him from the minute he kind of appears on screen. Maniacal. Yes. He's, it's amazing. Like I kind of know him from the importance of being earnest Mm -hmm. and which like, it's just, you know, one of my favorite films in the world. Yeah. And, you know, so I always thought he was like, he was great, but just, this is like a completely different role because he's sort of the respectable one or like the pseudo, the, you know, one pretending to be respectable and the importance of being earnest. Yes. Um, but here he's just, yeah, he's like this really frightening character. Unhinged. Unhinged, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's brilliant casting, because it's they're doing that thing of almost like creating a false sense of reassurance by introducing this sort of familiar actor who's, you know, a very accomplished uh, stage actor. Mm-hmm. And he's such a classically trained, you know, such a conventionally handsome um, performer. It's a bit like casting Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. Oh, yes. That's so true. That's so true. That Yeah, it makes it even more unsettling and disconcerting because you go in thinking, well, I I know my range with this performer. You know, I know where I can sort of settle in. Mm-hmm. and it, he, they just pull the rug from underneath you it's just it's really um eye-opening and shocking oh that makes me really interested in learning a bit more about Michael Redgrave now I know because I think there's always like a reason why actors take those surprising roles mm-hmm. like you know Jimmy Stewart is like actually quite a fascinating and sometimes quite dark person yeah and now like I was also thinking you know like with the actual the actual way, you know, the story play, plays out. So you have mm-hmm. this, like, you know, this man with his dummy. You have a, a, another famous ventriloquist. <laughs> and it seems like the dummy is, like, wanting to leave Michael Redgrave for the other famous ventriloquist. Yeah. And, like, Michael Redgrave becomes, like, insane with jealousy. Yeah. And ends up trying to kill the other ventriloquist. And, like, there's, like almost like an undercurrent of like romance or like 
like it's like there's almost like this kind of gay undercurrent in this in the film because it's like well, it's all male characters <laughs> and it made me think I was like does Michael Redgrave gay like mm. was Michael Redgrave secretly gay and that's like what this is about I don't know I just thought that was so there was something so like this idea of like repressed homosexuality um in it like because yeah, it's so morbid like, like homoeroticism yes yeah like it was like a love triangle it was I was I don't know like that's kind of the vibe I got throughout the throughout while I was watching I was just like what is going on here yeah yeah because even when they're in the bar and Michael Redgrave's character he's pretty drunk um and a, a, an attractive lady comes by and then there's that sort of like unpleasantness with the dummy yeah like he shows no interest in her at all or he 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 feels no impulse to flirt or just be amorous in any way it's it's he 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 seems quite nonplussed in the presence of a woman yeah but he is very passionate in relation to this other guy his his colleague let's say mm-hmm. this the man from his profession there's a huge amount of passion and you know it's funny um, now that you said that because I hadn't really pinned it down as as well as you did in terms of like sort of identifying a possible love triangle but now that you said that it made me wonder do you think that maybe the dummy is actually just a stand-in for his penis oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yes I think totally it totally could be like Mm. yeah and his penis wants the other than the other guy his colleague right. <laughs> and he's just like stop it like stop it stop going for that guy exactly and, yeah that's so exactly what it is yeah yeah you're totally right like even as we were talking I was like formulating like you know maybe like you know the dummy is like his like unconscious desire mm. and he you know he has to like and he has to like kill it you know, he has to like kill the object of the desire and he has to kill the, the, the desire itself. But then you're like, penis. And I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 that's what it is. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is made out of wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, amazing. And that's why like at the beginning, you know, when he, when the, Amer- you know, the American ventriloquist meets that woman who's the like nightclub singer mm. and he's just like, you know, what is it about this guy? And she's like, it's his dummy. <laughs> like, <laughs> She says it in this like flirty way, like so. Yeah, it's like they're basic. So like, there's no ventriloquist dummy. There's just like, um, you know, like an American meets like a girl he knows. He's just like, what is it about that guy? Just like he's got this massive cock, and then like, (laughs) and then the story continues. That's it. Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would like to see like a a gay porno remake of this movie <laughs> seriously see we should we need, we need to add this into the pipeline of all of the projects that we're developing 100 that's amazing i wonder if we can get a nice michael redgrave lookalike to to oh, star wow. in it oh, yeah somebody's so dreamy man. he's gorgeous super dreamy i mean the camera really loves him seriously yeah he's amazing i am actually wondering if he might have been gay actually no he can't have been because he's got mm. a load of like children hasn't he like but then again, you know, you might have been closeted bisexual. We know we don't know. True, because I just think like you know, there's this, and then like an Oscar Wilde play in oh, which like yeah. you know, because the importance of being honest is about it's about like 
you know, like they ends up with like two heterosexual couples, but the main thing is it's like they're these two guys like flirting the entire time. <laughs> so it's like a very gay film, I think, very gay sort of like play. For sure. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just like fanficking my uh Michael Redgrave like as yeah. as a gay man. Yeah, but. Dead of Night remade as a porno. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's amazing. Total fanfic there. Um <laughs> But I mean, I mean, j- just even thinking about like the male anatomy, um, I don't know. I find penises really uncanny. <laughs> <laughs> the way that they just have like a life of their own and they just sort of like come to life, you know, and. It's true. It must be really like it must being like a teenage boy must be a really uncanny experience. Like, yeah, having like part of yourself that is just not under your control at yeah. all like that must be awful you know like it's awake when you're not awake like yeah that's weird oh my god you know what that actually kind of neatly brings us on to Chucky I think to I think so yeah yeah okay now let's talk about it Charles played it but I don't think we've ever wrapped up a film so fast but I know like that's that's what it is isn't it so there's no more it's just it's just a penis don't worry about it guys um, okay, so Child's Play 2, 1990, John Lafia. So, following on from the events of the first film, eight-year-old Andy is placed in foster care while his mother recovers, mm. quotes, uh, from their traumatic <laughs> experience with a possessed good guy doll. Chucky's remains are restored by the Playpals Corporation, allowing him to go looking for Andy in order to complete his ritual and take over his body. Yeah, Perfect. I mean, just going back to what you said before about the mother basically being completely erased in this movie, mm. that that alone is quite startling in a way that she just, she is alive, but we just never see or hear from her. She's just sort of like hidden away in the institution. Yeah. So is that the implication that she's been institutionalized because she's like raving about this possessed doll? Yeah. And there's no like mention of the policeman from the first episode no. from the first uh film either no. so he's very conveniently all on his own in the world yeah exactly mm. yeah precisely um we see andy obviously going through the kind of foster home system with jenny agatha i know i thought of you yeah my look like jenny agatha not so much as we get older we stop looking the same but like you know te- like 12 year old me and railway children Jenny Agatha like doppelgangers total twins yeah yeah like a younger version of her definitely looks like you for sure yeah I mean their house is really crazy first of all like what is that house it is so weird yeah it's very strange like color scheme (laughs) color scheme and then like their like weird dynamic of like it's kind of like it's like horror Juno like you know just like they want to have she wants they want to have a baby but they're adopting kids instead and like I don't know very strange strange yeah things going on yeah very weird setup of like it's just kids passing through like it's not even you know a kind of sustained relationship with a foster child or an, an adopted child it's literally just seems a bit chaotic to me yeah, and like the way the way that like that good guy doll is just like left in the wardrobe in like the closet when he gets yeah. there, and she's like, oh, "I must have been one of the other children's." And I'm like, "What foster children have these like incredibly 
like expensive toys <laughs> that they just leave behind when they go. Like, it, like it didn't make any sense at all. I know. Now, where have I seen their teenager, like that girl before? What has she been in? I feel like she was so familiar. Isn't she like a 90210, Beverly Hills oh, 90210 yeah. actress? That's it. Um, she kind of looks like a lot of actors, like actresses of that time. So like she looks a bit like Kirsty Swanson, mm-hmm. who's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she looks a bit like Christina Applegate in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. That's true. Like she's very like there's she's like very similar to that like eighties eighties teen actor like crowd. Yeah, she also kind of reminded me a little bit of maybe like more of her clothes of the girl who was in Pump Up the Volume. Who was that again? I don't know. I don't Let know me look I've... it up. Have you not seen that one? I don't think so. Oh, you have to see Pump Up the Volume. 1990 also, same year release. Okay. Christian Slater. Ooh. And, oh, Samantha Mathis. Oh, I love Samantha Mathis. I know, me too. I wish she was in more stuff. She's so good in American Psycho. She's so good in that. Oh, she's like my, that's like my favorite bit. Um, she's so And so gorgeous. And then she just kind of disappeared after the 90s. She's brilliant. Um... But yeah, I mean, just as a side note, Pump Up the Volume is an essential watch for a podcaster such as yourself, Sarah. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is the proto-podcast movie. Really? Oh, yeah. Ooh, say okay. No more. Okay, fantastic. Oh, <laughs> I love Christian Slater, this era of Christian Slater. Oh my God, he's so cute and hot. So cute. Great eyebrows. I know. Ugh. Did you watch the Betty Broderick story? The um I did. Oh my god, he was so like he was so good in it. I just absolutely hated his guts. I know, me too. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, truly like a repulsive character, but so well played by him. So well played, and like you can totally see he did it so well because he was like totally repulsive, but you would never like want to break up with him because he's so like charming and like yeah. virile. Yes, like you know like it's the kind of person that you would like fight another woman over even though he's just like absolutely (laughs) humiliating you like because he just yeah yeah, he's like he does this like great idea of like very high status like really well yeah 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 so attractive and he he just looks like every moment of pain will be worth it (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I was really fucked up by that TV show. Like every time I've watched it twice and every time I get like really upset I know. because it's just like, it's my, like my absolute nightmare to like live through that. Yeah. And I totally, totally understand why she did it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in this movie, it's like, um, I really like how Andy... I mean, first of all, the kid who plays Andy in both movies, he is also an amazing actor. Like, he is such a good little trooper, isn't he? (gasps) That's so interesting because I, like, I feel like he just doesn't do anything. Like, he's so blank. Like, but then I was just like, is he blank because he's, like, traumatized? Yeah. But, like, he's never, like, he never really acts scared. He just acts like, he does a bit of shouting. But, like... He's just never, he never really re- reacts, I think. He's always in freeze mode, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's in like total freeze mode. Like, yeah. it's almost like he's like resigned to what's happening. 
Like, because I just, I guess he just doesn't really have a choice ever. Exactly. He can't really fight or flee. So he has to just remain kind of frozen in the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always felt a kind of connection with Andy. Like I could kind of relate to him. I too was haunted by a doll. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so your, just... your best friend was a murderer. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, no, no, but I mean, I just kind of understood him, just how timid he was and and how he was, he seemed like he was just trying to keep it together, but he was overwhelmed. Yeah. He is a sort of very subtle actor. There's not that much action from him. Mm. But when we do see his little face, he he's so young and he looks so troubled. And I'm thinking to myself, is that actor okay like that is very young to be exposed to these stories you know I mean yeah. I'm one to talk I put my poor little baby brother and sister <laughs> like these movies but I mean they didn't have to act in it you know <laughs> yeah I don't know what they do to kids to make them like whether they like understand the full force of their roles or whether they like say something different to them like you yeah. know something like that would scare a kid but not like that scary I don't know what happens how they do it I'd like to see like interviews with him as an Me adult too. I'd hate to think that like he's basically sacrificed his life because he was so young but I mean that's really the only time you'll ever hear me get like bleeding heart about people in movies and <laughs> the effects of violence because I don't know. I just wanted to like reach into the movie and like save him and protect him. He's adorable. He's very like, um, he sort of like dusts himself off and gets on with things, doesn't he? He does. He's very like, um, <laughs> yeah, like he kind of, he's resilient. He's like a resilient kid. He's always like yeah. cheering up. But like, even when like, you know, he's terrified of that good guy doll. And yeah. then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do my best to like it like you know and then he like carries yeah. it around and I'm just like wow you don't have to do that like li- yeah. like yeah. one literally tried to kill you like yeah um, yeah you'd be totally within your rights to never hold that doll again and yet it's because he he- overheard the foster parents being concerned about him and wondering if you know he should be with them so he wanted to prove himself and it's like yeah he is quite resourceful and he just wants to get on with his life and I thought that the addition of Grace Zabriskie, um, I thought it added a whole other element of like uncanniness to Child's Play too, because it's very Lynchian. Yeah, definitely. Like she's just like, you can tell it's going to be a horror film whenever she gets on the screen. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to her, um, she has a very scary um kind of face that she's she does when she's trying to be uncanny you know yeah and she did it also in inland empire and it it actually gave me nightmares yeah she's very frightening she really is and she's not even trying to be frightening in this film <laughs> yeah. like she's trying to be like nice and responsible but um i just think like the whole series is just it's like an ode to like the unsafe childcare practices of the 80s like just like there's just no rules and regulations for like anything you know like they put like you know they like put kids in like police cells without a lawyer and like or an appropriate (laughs) adult they like 
you know, just like pass them around and then like give their details out to like random phone callers. And like, I don't know, it's just like, it's so frightening that like, it's just like, they're like, it's like a dystopian world where like children are not never safe. Mm -hmm. But then like, it's actually not a dystopian world. It's just the 80s, which is like, (laughs) children weren't safe. Like people were always like, go get me a pack of cigarettes, kid. Like, and then they would get kidnapped on the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just hold the spoon while I inject this heroin. Yeah. Like it's that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> that's why it's so sweet that this like sister figure in the movie like she's the one who really actually steps in as a responsible adult yeah and like really protects him like she, I love the lengths she goes to everything she does to help Andy it's really heartwarming you know I mean because I, I guess when I w- watched it as a kid I because I was the oldest you know um, I didn't have an older sibling to kind of look out for me and so I kind of liked this story because I could kind of live vicariously through Andy, imagining that like this kind of surprise sister figure will swoop in and make everything okay. Yeah. I mean, when I thought of what other movie to include alongside that of Night for Dolls, it had to be this one for me, Child's Play 2, because, you know, mainly for the that incredible depiction in the factory in the, at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I think, one of the finest representations of post-traumatic stress disorder on film. It's, it's just like every effort is made by Andy to escape his trauma of his fear of Chucky. Mm-hmm. But trapped inside where the doll is made he's just stuck inside this maze this labyrinth made up of like stacks and stacks of his fear object yeah and you know it just awaits him at every turn he just can't outrun it yeah that's true that is that is ptsd like that is literally ptsd that is you're having a flashback and you're trying to talk sensibly and reasonably to yourself you're trying to be rational and you look around and that's all you fucking see you know and it's at every corner it's on everyone's face it's on everyone's mouth it's and there's piles of it there's like mountains of it and you are trapped within a maze of that and you can't get out like it kind of reminded me a little bit of the shining as well like that labyrinth scene Mm mm-hmm and so it's a little bit Kubrickian in parts, but I just feel like this one is just a must watch because it's so surrealistic as well. I mean, anytime you've got like a talking doll, it's going to be a surrealist movie. But um, and also just the fact that Charles Lee Ray was into like voodoo and black magic and stuff. I know. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting, like the character that they've kind of designed. Like, I kind yeah. of, I'm always like, I want to know more about Chucky. <laughs> like, I want to know more about Charles. I want I want a prequel. Like, yeah. what happened to him? You know, what is his origin story? Yeah, because he's like a white guy. Like, why is he? <laughs> why is he so into voodoo? <laughs> like, exactly. Is so? Is it like some like like Jim Jones appropriation shit, or is it like? <laughs> Oh, is he like, I don't know, is he like 
an orphan that was like raised by like a voodoo cult like right. what's the story there what did he very strange we're missing a big portion of this story here like again another one to add to our long list of ideas yeah actually that would be great I would love to see it I would I would totally love to see that because he's a fascinating character you know he's a serial killer what do they call him the lakeside strangler yeah which is weird like I don't know like if you're a strangler (laughs) it's so like convoluted because he seems like a sort of like gangster like he's like involved in like wheeler dealer like stuff but then, like, they call him, like, a strangler. And, like, if you're a strangler, then you have, like, you're, like, a sexual fetish killer, you know? Sure. Like, you strangle women and it's, like, it's, you get off, off on it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't... But then there's voodoo. <laughs> like, what? <Yeah. laughs> I know. It seems a little, like, kind of patchy and just thrown together. Yeah, like, they kind of just, like, add things in, like, willy-nilly. Like, yeah. Because they were like, oh, and he does, you know, he killed people in, like, rituals, in voodoo rituals, and it's like, then why did he strangle them? It doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah, it's like a control thing, sure. you know? Like, because it takes ages as well. Mm. Um, I've listened to too much True Crime, but, like, <laughs> it, it does, you know? It's yeah. like, it's like an, ex- you're like an experience killer, you know? Like, you like the, mm. you like the, the, the experience of, of like watching someone die as opposed to like you want their body afterwards to like play with you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I don't know very strange yeah we definitely need to take like a forensic stroll down memory lane with Charles Lee Ray and I mean I know that there's this new is there like a new tv show about Chucky I keep seeing I something. think there is yeah I don't even know like what it is, where I can watch it. I don't, I'm not going to watch it. I know um, there's just like, there's so much out there that I'm, and I don't even like know half the places where everyone watches this stuff. Like, I know. I'm just <sighs> completely losing track. I don't know if it's age or like, I don't know, or if it's just like overwhelmingly broad, mm-hmm. but there's so much TV out there and it's, it's too much to get into. I know, me too. I feel so like, I feel so particular in what I watch on t- like TV wise. Like yeah, I, you know, I'm, I finally got a hold of Succession, the third series. Yay! So I'm finally going to watch it and Amazing. I will review it for my Patreon. But apart from Succession, which is probably my favorite thing, I just rewatched like The Sopranos and I rewatched You because oh. I love Penn Badgley. Like I oh. love him. <laughs> I love the first two seasons of you so much and then I feel like the third season kind of let me down I know I was let down too I was yeah yeah, very disappointed by that first kill in episode one yeah you know what I'm talking about I do it's such a shame because that could have been interesting it's so funny because I watched it with Paul and now Paul because he's so well versed in astrology listening to me bang on about it all the time he says Jill Goldberg is such a Scorpio like it's just pure Scorpio energy it's true I feel like they both are Joe and Love like are like a double Scorpio couple that's true yeah yeah Yeah, Um, I just I just I mean I feel like I even want to watch Gossip Girl just to watch Penn Badgley. Yeah, like, I know. Just for an excuse to watch it. It actually completely changes the char- his character in Gossip Girl. Now, once you've watched you, <gasps> if you go back, like, it, he's a lot creepier than you remember. Oh, my God. Like, I also, I listened to the audiobook on, um, I don't know, I don't remember which, I think, I don't know mm. if it was, like, 
if I just bought it outright or it was when I was on Audible or something. Yeah. But I listened to the audiobook of it and I thought it was it's it's like even creepier than the than the oh, show. Really? And it's quite sexy. Like the first few chapters I was like, ooh, like this is almost like an erotic novel. Oh wow. Like, because he's so like it's exactly the same thing. Like he's so but he's much more sexual in the book, like He's oh much God. like, you know, because he, he is like really sexual in the TV show because he's yeah. always like fantasizing and masturbating and like, <laughs> but like the book is just like constant like that. And it's really, and you're completely trapped in his head because you're, re- you know, it's just the book. <laughs> I would recommend, actually, I'd recommend anyone isolating, like get the, <laughs> get the new audio book and enjoy. <laughs> oh my God. This sounds so up my street, honestly. <laughs> yeah, really good. Okay, I'm going to investigate further. Um, I think you'll yeah. enjoy it. I know you like an audiobook, so... I do, I do. Yeah. Um, and I, I I, am also starting to think that maybe if Joaquin Phoenix is going to throw in the towel, like if he's going to like not be the Joker anymore, they should just get Penn Batchley. That's such a good idea. He He'd would be such be a good Joker, right? Really good. He would be amazing. Yeah, I think so. I think he'd be a good Arthur Fleck specifically. Yeah, definitely. It's a sin to have anyone else. Agreed. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just going back to like Child's Play 2, I feel just in that factory, I I do like the fact that he keeps coming back no matter how many times like they try and get rid of him. I know, it's like really inexplicable how he comes back. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm sorry, what? Like, you know, I don't understand how he he keeps escaping. Like, yeah. strong stuff like what what the hell how does he how does he survive being completely drowned in like melted plastic (laughs) like you know like god's looking out for him like that's the thing you know (laughs) like someone wants him someone wants him on this earth yeah definitely all that voodoo and black magic has seemed to have earned him favors with 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 the with the cosmos yeah, there's something about that guy. <laughs> Somebody upstairs likes him, man. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I don't even remember what happens in the rest of the franchise, to be honest with you. I, I kind of, I mean, I think I've seen up to The Bride of Chucky. To be honest, I just remember the first two. Because I know that at, by the end of the second one, he's basically saying, I'm trapped in this body. Like, the magic is not going to work for me. I'm not going to be able to like be inside you, which incidentally sounds actually quite sexual as well. Yeah, I know. So like, obviously it's like a bit, it's difficult to speak about because it's a bit distasteful, but like if, you know, if like dolls and dummies are like penises, like, yeah, yeah. Like it's really like, what does, what does it mean that you have like a child character and then you have this like id, like iddy character Mm. like is it kind of like about every sort of parent's nightmare of like like the sexual side of children or like children like like when when children like find out stuff that they're not supposed to know and you can't control it mm. like and that's what because like the the get the first film was like it's really sinister because like Andy like thinks that they're friends yeah and you know he's like and you know Chucky's like telling him all the stuff and telling him to keep it a secret and it's almost like a kind of grooming like that's going on and it's like and you know and obviously like he's got like a single parent and she doesn't notice like you know so she's too busy to notice what's going on and then like and then this one like you know like he chucky like ties him to the bed 
and like yeah. you know and it's like so yeah if he's not like if he's like a stand-in for anything is it like you know like kids like pick up stuff and they're aware of stuff and like they they will get exposed to stuff and yeah. obviously that they are like they're like eventually going to become like fully sexual adults who mm. with like desires and like violence and all of this stuff that we don't like to think about children having and to a certain extent they already have like a sexuality and they already have desires and they already have like you know all of these things that we don't like to think about them having so is like yeah is chucky like an external manifestation wow. of like you know the sort of like the side of children that is like curious I suppose, or like drawn to like, you know, sexual things or bad things or violent things. Forbidden things. Forbidden things, yeah. Okay, I think you absolutely nailed it. I think you you really put your finger on the symbolism of this of these movies. Because mm-hmm. I really hadn't considered that and I think it's true. I think like ultra violent doll, which we're given an explanation that it's the, the impulse is not coming from Andy. This guy is like a serial killer. So Andy is innocent. Yeah. You know? So it's a nice, convenient little caveat. But that's really just a kind of like surface level narrative. Maybe the real horror is that Andy is capable of imagining some pretty brutal, savage things. And maybe Andy is a sociopath and he's... Or, or maybe he just has like a very active imagination that adults just simply don't want to acknowledge children as possessing. Yeah. And as you as you rightly say, it it all gets played out in the fantasy of the doll being animated and the doll containing all of Andy's badness, which can remain separate from him and just like neatly captured in this like bit of plastic. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think that's a very valid uh interpretation and you know, I'm I'm thinking back to when I had like Barbie dolls and I would do things with my Barbie dolls that they probably were not designed for. <laughs> <laughs> they're totally designed for that. Like their legs are really <laughs> wide. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I was merely doing what I was like subtly instructed to do yeah. <laughs> by the doll company. But you're right. Like children already have that curiosity and that wanting to push the envelope a little bit. And these toys and dolls, I suppose, are just a neat little container for those desires, which makes me also think of like the booming adult toy industry and the fact that you do call them sex toys yes that's so true you know what I mean it's like it's just an an extension or a continuation of what we maybe always felt compelled to do all along have a little like accessory oh yeah that's so true Mm. oh my god I love that like maybe we should (laughs) now we can start inviting each other to come play (laughs) (laughs) now that we've accepted like who we are as adults and I think that bit where you know like Brad Dourif is like you know I'm stuck in this body like I can't like I can't like merge with you is like maybe like kind of symbolic of like you know you grow up and all of that stuff that you just like did like that you know the Ken and Barbie stuff and all that stuff that you just do like um like unselfconsciously 
yeah as a child like you like grow up and you're like I have to put I have to like compartmentalize that and it's like for that's for like private times like that's something yes. that's for like you know that's something I can't share with people and mm-hmm. like maybe that's what's happening at the end of the you know like Brad like Chucky is like trying to like merge these two sides and Andy like won't let him wow because yeah. like in the grown-up world you can't be that like itty like ultra-violent person you have to like mm. put that in like you know in a nice safe package and like <laughs> only access it when you need it or when like oh, wow. you know when no one can see you oh my god that is so true yeah i feel so sorry for chucky because really like chucky (laughs) symbolizes like our rejection like the way that we're like that we reject and are disgusted by like actually really natural part of ourselves parts of ourselves like violence like sexuality all of those things like you know poor chucky is just like this like taboo monster in the closet Justice for Chucky. Justice for Chucky. Fuck you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's true. And I was hoodwinked by his cute little act. Yeah, his cute little blank act. Like all he's doing, he's like the Mary Whitehouse of this universe. Like he, is. he wants everything like dark and wrong to be like buried buried far below the surface and like I don't think that's healthy I feel like we've covered it I don't have anything else to say I I really feel like you've resolved a lot of issues for with child's play for me thank you I think it's just because I have a crush on Brad Brad Dourif even if he's like a small like three foot doll I'm like I'm just like (laughs) oh you must be good inside (laughs) like I can change him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's our sex doll he <laughs> is the ultimate sex doll <laughs> the original the og sex doll the og sex doll there you go <laughs> oh my god love it this is amazing i really like this episode what are we talking about next time next time we are talking about oh this is really exciting so we're doing a surgery eyes without a face and the skin i live in to brilliant films i'm very excited about this me too i can't wait Mm -hmm. in the meantime thank you so much for listening guys and keep rating and reviewing keep sharing your impressions on twitter we're going to retweet you thank you for your donations thank you for subscribing yeah and we'll catch you on the next one and happy christmas if you celebrate um this will come out in a couple of days and then hopefully everyone will have some nice time off we hope you don't have covid yeah and if you do we hope it's mild yeah stay away from lambeth council yes (laughs) don't go to that orgy that you've been invited to it's a trick exactly yeah happy christmas and we will be back with you soon bye